We're going to talk about shipwrecks this morning. Shipwrecks. You know, shipwrecks, first slide, Lucas. I know you're distracted by your beautiful baby girl back there. There we go, shipwrecks. Uh, these have been kind of glamorized in popular culture. I'm thinking about the Swiss family Robinson. And this was a, a book that came out, a novel that came out in the 19th century. It was kind of based on a book called Robinson Crusoe that came out about a century before. But then Walt Disney came along and he sort of Disney-fied it in 1960 with a film about this Swiss family who shipwrecked on a, a, a tropical desert island and they make this awesome treehouse and they live there for several years in the midst of these wild animals and, and they, they, you know, they sort of eke out an existence there. And at Disneyland in California, at Walt Disney World in Orlando, you can climb up into the treehouse and as you're looking at you know, the, the uh, boy's bedroom at the, at the perch at the very top of the tree, you think, you know, it might be kind of cool to be shipwrecked. That might be kind of neat because then you get to build a really awesome treehouse. And then let me share a few lines of a song with you. Some of you may recognize it. Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip. Does anybody know this poem? That started from this tropic port aboard this tiny ship. It's the theme song to Gilligan's Island. This story about seven people who were part of a three-hour tour, a three-hour tour, and the ship called the, uh, what was it called? The Minnow. It gets tossed and turned to and fro on the ocean in a storm, and they wind up on this desert island. And for three seasons, these poor people are stuck out here on this island, and people sort of come and go, and every episode they would try to get off the island, but unsuccessfully. And you might watch that show and you think, boy, that would be kind of cool to be shipwrecked. Uh, if you get to be around interesting people like this, and you know, there's a laugh track and it's hilarious. It's just a, a hilarious existence to be shipwrecked with Gilligan and the skipper and, and the millionaire and his wife and Ginger and Marianne and all the rest of them. They're on Gilligan's Island, shipwrecks. We've kind of glamorized these, but shipwrecks are anything but glamorous. Take it from me. I've never been in a shipwreck, mind you, but I have been on a boat in the middle of a lake during a thunderstorm. Have you? That's a scary experience. My family had a boat growing up, and we would take it out on Lake Chickamauga, and one day we were puttering along, and this storm blew up, and there was thunder and lightning, and strong wind, and heavy torrential rains, and we had to slow the motor down to about as slow as you can go. There was zero visibility. My brother and I were scared. We went down into the cabin. It's a scary, it's a scary experience to be out on the water, to not be able to see in a storm with rain and wind. And I remember when I was a kid going down to Camp Nayati uh, for a summer retreat, and back in those days, they didn't just have canoes. They had these like metal flat bottom boats and you could fit six or eight kids on there and one day while at camp we decided let's sail out to the island you know the island out on lake gunnersville that's just you think oh it's just right there you know a, a couple strokes of the paddle will get you there well about two billion strokes later you're still not to the island depth perception issues there so we go out to this island we finally make it there and explore a little bit well then it comes a torrential rain on the way back. 
And one of the guys in the boat says, you know, this rain is so heavy, I think we really should pray. And so we had a prayer, a special prayer, asking for God's protection that we make it back to shore safely. Campers, don't get any ideas. Don't go out to the island. Uh, that's, that probably should be a rule in the rule book. But it's scary to be out on the water during a, a, a thunderstorm, even scarier to be shipwrecked, I'm confident. When Paul is writing to Timothy in this letter that we call 1 Timothy, he is trying to, to summon, to draw out an image that captures the trauma, the chaos, the loss, the destruction of losing one's faith, of abandoning one's faith. And the image that he arrives at is, well, look with me in 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to read this text again, verses 18 and 19. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child. And Timothy was not Paul's biological child, his son. But Paul considered him to be a son in the faith. Paul had sort of brought him up in the faith and, and trained him. And the relationship that, that they shared was like that of a father and a son. It was very close and intimate. He calls him my child, Timothy, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. God had set Timothy apart for a special service in his kingdom through these prophecies. And Paul is encouraging him here. He says, these prophecies made about you that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, you know, waging the good warfare, keeping the faith, holding a good conscience. By rejecting this, Paul says, some have made shipwreck of their faith. So Paul is trying to conjure an image that would fully capture the devastation, the destruction of what happens in one's life and in the lives that that person affects when that person loses his or her faith. When that person abandons his or her faith, when that person turns their back on the Lord, on His will, on His Word, on His Son, Jesus Christ, and the image that he comes up with, the very worst experience that he could possibly imagine is that of being shipwrecked. It, it's, not, it's not a glamorous experience. It's really no laughing matter. He writes this letter to Timothy from Rome. And on the way to Rome by sea, Paul had, had appeared before several officials and as a Roman citizen he had appealed to Caesar, place me before Caesar. And so they send him to Rome as a prisoner by sea and on the way there through the Mediterranean Sea, Paul suffers a shipwreck. You see, unlike me, Paul knows exactly what it's like to be lost at sea, to be on a boat that runs aground, and the boat is, is torn to pieces. He's shipwrecked. And this is recorded for us in Acts chapter 27. And this is a chapter that if you're keeping up with our Bible reading, you've already read this chapter. Acts chapter 27, if you haven't read it, I would encourage you to read it. It almost reads like an adventure novel, like, like a, a travel narrative from the ancient times. We read that Paul is aboard this boat, and on the way to Rome, the ship is caught in what's called in Scripture a northeaster, a terrible wind and storm. The crew and the people on board, for fear of running aground, they begin 
taking, hoisting up cargo and casting it overboard. And in Acts chapter 27, verse 20, we are told that all hope of being saved was at last abandoned. All 200-something people on board this boat, Paul included, thought that there was no hope that any of them were going to survive this terrible ordeal. But an angel of the Lord appeared to Paul, telling him that no lives would be lost, that he had to appear, appear before Caesar, that that was God's will. And not only would his life, but every life on that vessel would be saved, would be spared. And so Paul comforts those on board with this news. Well, eventually, after several other mishaps, the boat runs aground, it strikes a reef, the vessel is broken up by the surf, those on board swim to land, some of them are resting on planks and pieces of wood from from the boat, and they all wash up on shore of the island of Malta safely. That's Acts chapter 27. A shipwreck that Paul experiences, and it is a terrifying, nearly deadly ordeal. But get this, it's not the first time that Paul has been through a shipwreck. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 25, Paul is enumerating all the ways that he's suffered as an apostle of Jesus Christ, as a servant of the Lord. He, he goes through this, this list of all these terrible experiences that he's had because he's committed to proclaiming the gospel. And listen to what he says. He says, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. And this was written before his experience in Acts chapters 27. So if you can do the quick math, and I can't do math much more complicated than this, but that makes at least four shipwreck experiences for Paul. And we read you know, from the historians that this was not uncommon. In fact, many ancient ships uh, that were shipwrecked have been found boats around the Mediterranean Sea by archaeologists. And so it was not uncommon for vessels to be caught out in the sea in the midst of the storm and to run aground and to, to be wrecked. And Paul, writing to Timothy, asks himself, how is it that I can capture the devastation, the destruction, the horrific nature of losing, of abandoning one's faith? And what is the image that he uses? He draws upon his own experience his own horrific experience of being shipwrecked. And he says that's what it's like. Think of all the, the, the fear and the anxiety and the physical and emotional toll and the destruction and just all the terrible details of being shipwrecked. And Paul says that's what it's like when you lose your faith. That's what it's like for the families of those who abandon their faith, who turn their backs on God. It's like being in a shipwreck. There's nothing pleasant about a shipwreck. And Paul says, that's what it's like when you lose your faith. And he shares some examples with Timothy. He shares some examples because he doesn't want Timothy to follow the same path that these two gentlemen, these two former brothers followed. He tells us their names. He names them. Verse 20, Among whom, those who have shipwrecked their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. This, this phrase, handed over to Satan, it refers to church discipline. 
to being put out of the church, to excommunicating these brothers, not because the church is being a bully or being mean-spirited, but so that they will then be motivated to repent so that they can be welcomed back into the body of Christ. So, handing over to Satan or practicing church discipline or excommunication is not an act of hatred, it's an act of love. It comes from the desire that this person who has rebelled against God will, will come to the realization of what they've done and will turn again anew and embrace their faith. Paul says that's what we had to do with these two men. Hymenaeus and Alexander. Brothers of Paul. Co-workers. Faithful Christians. Partners in the labor of the Gospel. Until they decided, as Paul tells us in 2 Timothy, he mentions Hymenaeus again, and the language that he uses there is he swerved from the truth. And so Paul probably had a good relationship with these gentlemen. Maybe like the relationship that he shares with Timothy, Hymenaeus, and Alexander. Dear brothers, you think about someone you love in this church family. A brother or a sister. Someone who, who's been here a while with you and you've grown close to them. And the reason that you're close is because you share a common faith and you've been brought together by being a part of this church family. It's not outside the realm of possibility that Paul shared such a tender relationship with these men. And now he has to report to Timothy that they have shipwrecked their faith to the point that we've had to put them out of the church in hopes that God will prick their hearts and they'll come back. You see, it's a tragedy when someone shipwrecks their faith. It's a tragedy because it affects not only that person and not only their soul, and their eternal salvation. But it brings so much pain and anguish and agony on those of us who love them and who long for them to be back in our midst. Paul probably had that kind of relationship with Hymenaeus and Alexander and now they've shipwrecked their faith. Their faith has run aground. It's been dashed on the rocks. Do you know anyone who has shipwrecked their faith? Of course you do. Because we all do. And we all look around this auditorium. And it's just a blessing to stand up here every Sunday and to see a full house. And to just look at the way that we've grown here. It's a wonderful blessing to see so many new faces. To see so many visitors. But if you're like me, you can also look. You can look with a different set of eyes. And you can see the people who are not here, but who ought to be here. The people that we once shared pews with, who have shipwrecked their faith, who have no semblance of faith, who are no longer faithfully gathering with God's people, who no longer place their trust in their Lord Jesus Christ. We could double this crowd if we brought all those back who once sat here, but for whatever reason have left. We all know people who have shipwrecked their faith. I'm thinking of someone that Lauren and I knew, a deacon in the church, 
someone we were close to, an example to us growing up, who became involved in an affair, who abandoned his family, who left the church, who this day has no semblance of faith, no connection with the church, made a shipwreck of his faith. It's a tragedy. It's devastating. And I think about so many of the young people that I grew up with that we are told in various studies one out of every two young people who grow up in the church will leave. Many of them will never come back. I can think of many of the people I was brought up with in the youth group who did everything that I did, who came to church every time the doors were open, who were involved in every single youth activity, fun and spiritual and service that we did, who are today nowhere near the doors of a church building on, a Sunday, on this Sunday morning. We know of too many who have shipwrecked their faith and it's a tragedy. But I'm wondering, is it possible that me, that I, that you, that we could be on the verge of shipwrecked faith and not even know it? Is it possible that we are just a few weeks or months or years away from shipwrecking our own faith? And is, is there a way, are there warning signs that we can be in tune, attuned to to prevent that from happening? I believe that there are. And I want to read again 1 Timothy chapter 1, the second part of 18 into 19. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy. He says, these are the things that Hymenaeus and Alexander, they turn their back, they turn their back on and they have wrecked their faith. Keep doing these things and you won't wreck your faith. He says, may you wage the good warfare. May you hold faith and a good conscience. So what I want to say today is what Paul says here, which is watch out. You are about to shipwreck your faith when, number one, your devotion dwindles. Your devotion dwindles. Paul says to Timothy, Hold the faith. Hold the faith. Don't let your fire burn out. Don't let your passion die. Don't let the fire in your bones be reduced to embers. Is your devotion growing hotter and brighter? Or is it growing cooler and dimmer? Ask yourself that. Am I day by day becoming more devoted in my faith to Jesus Christ or less devoted? Can I think of a time in my life when I was more devoted than I am today? Or am I more devoted now than I ever have been before? And if your answer to that question is the former, then you need to watch out. Because you might be on the verge of shipwrecking your faith. If, you're fa if you've become lackadaisical, if apathy and lethargy, we talked about this Sunday night, if that sort of defines your outlook, if gathering with your church family is not as important to you as it once was, if you're not devoted to the assembly and to Bible classes and just being together and growing in faith, if you're not serving in various ways in the kingdom as part of this church family and beyond, then your devotion may be dwindling. Paul says, watch out. That's what happened to Hymenaeus and Alexander. And they have made shipwreck of their faith. Don't let it happen to you. 
And Paul says also, you might be on the verge of shipwreck when your fight fades. When you forget that you are waging daily a battle against Satan and all the forces of evil. That our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers and all the forces of evil in the spiritual places. There is a spiritual war going on for the souls of every man and woman on this planet for your soul. And Satan wants to take your soul and drag you down to hell with him. And every day, God and Satan are in a tug of war for you. And do you realize that you are engaged in a spiritual battle? Have you taken up the weapons of war? The weapons of defense? To protect yourself against the power of the evil one, against Satan. Keep fighting. Don't forget you are in a war in this life. And when your fight fades, when you kind of kick back in the recliner, kick your feet up, set it on cruise control, forget that there is a spiritual battle going on. You might be on the verge of shipwrecking your faith. And lastly, Paul says, keep a good conscience. You might be about to shipwreck your faith when your character caves, when your integrity wanes, when you become soft morally and ethically, and you begin to compromise in your life and make excuses for the behaviors of others in our world. When you become soft on upright, righteous, living, when your character caves, that may be a sign that you are close to shipwrecking your faith. The good news is this. There is hope. There is hope for those who have shipwrecked their faith. 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting at verse 12. Paul talks about the mercy and the grace of God that has been poured out in his life. And Paul shares some very personal details, and, and he doesn't mince words as he talks about his own past. I mean, he owns it. He completely owns the fact, in his words, that he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, that he acted ignorantly in unbelief. And that's how you own your sin. That's how you own it. We all ought to be able to look at our past and to say, I was a worthless, no, down, no good, dirty, low-down, rotten scoundrel in my sin. And I didn't deserve for God to shower His grace and His mercy upon me. But you know what? In spite of myself, He has. That's what Paul says. He says, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus he says, I was the worst sinner. You could imagine. The chief sinner. The foremost sinner. And now God has bathed me in His favor. Not because I deserved it. Not because I'm good, but because He's good. And Paul, with the benefit of, of hindsight, is able to say here, you know what? I know. I know why I am a beneficiary of His mercy and His kindness. Here's why. That in me, as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience. 
as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. Paul says, you know what? The world can look at me and it can see the way that God has transformed me and that will send a message to everyone that I come into contact with that our God is gracious and merciful and patient and that He can change somebody even like me. And maybe you're here this morning and you have made shipwreck of your faith and you can say with Paul, I am the chief. I am the chief sinner. If these people in this room knew the things that I have done in my life, they would kick me out of the building. Well, here's, here's the facts. None of us, because of the things that we've all done in our lives, deserve to be sitting on these pews in this building. Not a one. There is none righteous. No, not one. We all have sin and iniquity in our past, and we've all been saved by God's grace through our faith in Jesus Christ. We are all in the same boat. Sailing along, seeking to lead lives that are glorifying to God and trying not, to the best of our ability, to shipwreck our faith. The only reason any of us are here is because of the immense, the abundant, the bottomless, the unending love and grace of God that we can experience through Jesus Christ. And the good news is, God can help you rebuild your shipwrecked faith so that He can, through you, showcase His patience to the world. So that when people see you, they can see someone who used to be involved in the works of darkness, but who God has now brought into the kingdom of light. And they can see the transforming power that is available before God and from God. So the question is, will you allow God this morning to piece your boat back together and to set you sailing again? But this invitation is not just for those of you who maybe have totally shipwrecked your faith, it's for those of you who might, might be on the verge or, or might just be in the early stages. You're not as committed to the fight as you once were. You're not as devoted in your faith as you once were. You're not as, as committed to your character as you once were. And maybe you want to come this morning and say, listen, I just need a boost Spiritually speaking, I need my brothers and sisters to pray for me so that I can be the strong Christian that God wants me to be. Or if there's someone here who has never confessed faith in Jesus Christ, you have an opportunity to do that, to be baptized for the remission of your sins so that you can dwell with God for all eternity. If there are any spiritual needs this morning, please come make them known as we stand and sing.